up a go for some date that I haven't remembered yet. Give me a second. <laughs> <do> a retake. <laughs> <laughs> this is Cup of Go for July 14, 2023. Keep up to date with the important happenings in the Go community in 15 minutes per week. I'm Jonathan Hall. And I'm Shai Nahmad, and I know today's date. What's up? We have a bunch of fun stuff. Let's start with the the bookkeeping stuff. We have some new releases. Tell us about them. So Go 120.6 and Go 119.11 were released. It's a minor release that includes a security effects. Actually, an interesting vulnerability, uh, CVE 29406. Uh, and you can go read it. When you send the host headers in HTTP, we, the Go language didn't sanitize them enough. And you could inject stuff into the host header that added another extra headers. And, you know, it depends on the server. The server can be hardened as well. Most servers are. But, you know, still a, a good fix. Go update. Nice. Especially if you do HTTP. <laughs> and in other bookkeeping stuff, what conferences are coming up? So I decided just to let's run through all the conferences in the next uh, month or so. One of the new ones that's on my radar is GopherCon Korea. I believe this is the first time we're having a GopherCon in Korea. So that's pretty exciting news. That will be taking place August 5 and 6. So if you are in or near Korea, and presumably if you speak Korean, although the website has some English as well, but it looks like it's predominantly in Korean. So I'm going to assume the presentations are mostly in Korean as well. You should check that out. Uh, it will be happening at the uh, Seong University. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing these Korean names correctly in Seoul. So there you go. If you speak Korean, you can certainly read the website. Check that one out. But to round out our conference news, uh, just some reminders about other upcoming conferences. GopherCon UK is coming up August 16 through 18 in London. So if you're in that area, that's a great one to visit. The big one, GopherCon in San Diego is happening September 25 through 28. So that you still have time to think about that. And then the last one I'll mention today is GopherCon Ireland. So if, if London is just a little bit too far for you, but Dublin is closer, uh, November 2nd, you can go to GopherCon Ireland. And I'll just mention the CFP ends today. So there's a good chance it's already over by the time you hear this. But uh, if you're super fast and you listen to this episode, as soon as it drops, you still have time to submit a proposal to speak at GopherCon Ireland. And that's it for conference news for the moment. All right, so let's get to uh, releases. It's not really a release. It's more of a revival. But Alex and a bunch of other people got the band back together. We're putting the band back together. We're on a mission from God. And Gorilla is out of uh, deprecation. A group of developers have banded together to try and revive and maintain the Gorilla project. Which, you know, looking at the top of Reddit, this is a top for this week. Uh, it's only been posted a day ago. And if you look at the top, I don't know, 100, about five of them are, what's a good alternative to Gorilla? Oh, no, Gorilla is archive. What do I do? Gorilla is archive, but my open API auto generation still generates Gorilla. I use WebSockets, and what alternatives can I use? We discussed that a few times here on the show, yeah. and now it's back. I'm wondering what are your thoughts about this? Because I know you had some thoughts about Gorilla as a framework, you know, on, of its own. So, yeah, I mean, I have mixed feelings. I think on the one hand, it's good to have it back because so many people depend on it. On the other hand, I was never a super big fan of Gorilla. I do like that it's a toolkit more than a framework, so you can pick and choose the pieces you want. Uh, but I feel like a lot of the pieces, I mean, there's some old pieces here. It's probably the original web framework. It's certainly the, the most popular of the original ones. And so, you know, I remember, for example, they had a solution to passing context between requests before Go 1.7's context. And that's been maintained ever since. So there's a lot of sort of 
cruft in certain parts of the Gorilla Toolkit that are no longer ideal. That's not to say they were bad when they started, but they're no longer ideal. So those are my concerns about it. Uh, but I still do think it's a valuable library, and I'm glad to see it being reopened. And uh, at least security patches and presumably new features will be added as well. So I, I do think it's a net a net win for the community to have it back again. A net win, you'd say? Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a net win. No pun intended, but it is a great pun. Yeah. So there are a few concerns, you know, people have have raised or generally the response have been positive and I'm happy about it as well. I have projects that use Gorilla and, and I don't have any good alternatives, uh, especially since I use uh, open API generators to generate my servers usually. And uh, they generate Gorilla code. So mm-hmm. it's fun to have a, an archived project again. Um, a few interesting questions were, uh, you know, there's a huge backlog of uh, issues and PRs. So the maintainers don't have an exact date for when they're going to walk through all of those. By the end of July, they're going to finish the transition from, you know, archives project to maintain project, at which point they'll start looking through open issues, bugs, etc. I assume that some of the things they have to take care of before, you know, starting to introduce new features is updating Go versions and running, making sure they don't have vulnerabilities. More on that later. <laughs> if you're interested, they're not looking for formal maintainers at the time, but I think it's a great time to become a contributor. You know, this is a very yeah. famous project, has a ton of users. It's a much better case study for actual development than some hobby project, you know, that no one actually uses, but it's just playing around. And now with the new maintainers, I'm assuming that there's going to be an influx of energy into this project. So they're not looking for formal maintainers at the time, but definitely looking for contributors. So if you want to contribute, go check it out. One interesting concern, and I'd love to get your take on it, is that the maintainer group is organically formed. It's not like a company, but they are all from Red Hat. Mm-hmm. And this is an open source project. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people raised concerns. Uh, I'm wondering what you think before I uh, give in my two cents. Um, I guess the only reason I would have concern about that, it would be based on how this group was given the keys to the kingdom um, rather than some other arbitrary group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whether that decision was made well. But honestly, that's a very, very minor concern because the truth is with open source, if you don't like it, you can fork it. And if you're if you're right, or at least popular, your fork can grow and become popular as well. So, you know, if somebody doesn't like the way Red Hat informally is handling this, create your own fork. Call it Gorillas 2 or whatever and uh, do your own thing. Yeah, because that's what Go needs, more uh, web frameworks, of course. <laughs> That's right. We need more with confusingly similar names. Uh, so just to clarify, Red Hat is not officially taking over the project. It's just that the maintainers, like they all happen to work at Red Hat. Uh, but it's not sanctioned by or sponsored by or whatever. You know, Red Hat has some a checkered history with open source, but let's see how they take the sources and sources management within this project. I really hope that it'll stay just a normal open source, you know, no license changes and no uh, weird forks and whatever. People do use it and people are excited about it. So I I think there's a really good chance of it not only having a revival, but having a renaissance. One last thing to talk about is obviously that right now there's a discussion we already talked about, about adding methods and path variables to the default muxer, right? Uh, Instead of uh, using all these frameworks. And then the cynical, oh, just use net slash HTTP for a real web framework could become more of a reality because you could take more patterns. You could say like get slash foo and post slash foo, which takes a lot of the value for like, I don't know, 90% of the use case of using these frameworks. 
Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a double win. If you use that for inside the Gorilla, then you can use the same Gorilla API and not deprecate your project. And if you have a new project and you don't need all the Gorilla features, when this discussion will get into a proposal and then uh, eventually implemented, then you know you just won't need Gorilla, and that's good as well. I'm wondering if reviving Gorilla is going to make this discussion less relevant or more relevant. Like if you see more users of a framework, does that mean you need to implement it in the standard library? Does that mean you have the framework? So why clutter the standard library? But I guess uh, only time can tell. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see soon enough. And, you know, calling back to one thing I mentioned, how would the Gorilla maintainers and any other maintainer for that matter could check for vulnerabilities now? So we have... uh... Once in a blue moon, the official Go blog releases a new post, usually around the time of new releases. So the the last one was about Go 121's release candidate. But we have a new one this week, and it's called Go Volncheck version 1.0.0 is released. So this is a new tool in the standard Go toolkit. It's technically hosted under golang.org slash x, so it's still an experimental part of the toolkit, but it's it's usable. It's called Go Volncheck, and it checks your go.mod file and all your imports, both direct and indirect, against a database of known Go Go vulnerabilities. And so I I installed this for one of my clients, and it found a bug. Actually, I found two, and this is why I think it's most worth talking about. So one, it was just like, flat out, you're using an unsecure version of this thing. It's susceptible to DOS attacks. So I fixed it. The other one was very interesting. It said, you are using an insecure version of this library. However, none of your code executes the vulnerable code path, so you're probably safe not upgrading. So I thought that was pretty cool that it's able to do that detail of a check, unlike some other tools I've looked at before, where it just checks your go.mod against, you know, known bug. It's up to you to decide whether or not you're actually vulnerable. So it's smart enough to not just check your dependencies, but to actually do the traversal through your code to see if you're actually executing the vulnerability. So that's pretty cool, especially if you're on a really large code base where you might have hundreds of these. It could really help you determine which ones you should fix quickly. That's cool. So it's still version 1.0.0. No doubt there will be bugs found and features added, but already it's uh, found me a security vulnerability. So I think it's worth using. It's already added to the CI pipeline for this client. I think everybody should use it. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, Shifting even more to the left in the shift left uh, revolution. Yeah. Cool. And one other library worth mentioning uh, really quickly. uh, If you use GoMock, MockGen or stuff like that, uh, it's now under Uber, which I'm I'm all for Uber is a great engineering uh, organization, in my opinion. They post a lot of blogs, they post a lot of content, and they have a lot of uh, open source projects that were personally useful for me and my projects. So here's another one. Uh, they took over uh, GoMock, uh, which helps you generate mocks if you do unit tests and stuff like that. You know, that could be, it's a library you can trust even more to stay maintained, which is nice. One less thing to worry about, you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's that runs it out for releases and revivals because we need to rename this section. <laughs> and let's walk around the community for a second. What the updates do we have? Yeah, so I think the important one to mention, uh, because we've been talking about it, is we have the final post in John Arundel's four-part series on fuzz testing. So we talked about this a couple times. We even interviewed the author, uh, was it two episodes ago? It was a great chat with him. But he, he's been doing this four-part series on what fuzz testing is and how to do it. And the final one dropped this last week, finding bugs with fuzzing. So if you have not done fuzz testing, in other words, if you're like me and you've only read about it and, and know the concepts, read this blog post and and start doing some fuzz testing. I, ha- I have plans to do it. I have a couple projects where I want to do it on. I just haven't had the time yet. But uh, yeah, 
This is a really valuable blog post. John's writing style really breaks things down to be simple and understandable, which you can see through his blog post and, and his books that he's written too. So I highly recommend this uh, series and uh, become familiar with fuss testing. Yeah, thanks, John, for this really useful content. Also worth uh, mentioning that the series comes uh, together with a GitHub repository like that you can just go, clone, see the tests see the code itself, maybe even uh, copy it, run it. Uh, so, you know, it's a complete package. I mean that in the sense that it is actually a Go package mm-hmm. and also just uh, everything you need to get started with it. Thanks, John, for this contribution. I think it's a lot better the, than any official documentation I ever saw. Uh, this uh, series of, uh, of blog posts about fast testing, just very approachable and also a nice example because it's something that does trip up a lot of developers, the example is uh, runes versus bytes, which uh, some people have uh, issues with, especially if they come from a language where it's just a, you know, eight byte char for any any sort of uh, Unicode or whatever. Mm-hmm. So a really good uh, blog post. Lastly, we want to mention ACT. Uh, it's They had a release uh, three days ago, which was what brought it to our radar, even though the release itself is not super exciting, just a bunch of dependency bumps but it speaks to an issue that i think a lot of developers have uh, jonathan did you ever run the test locally on your machine push it to ci and then it didn't work on ci <laughs> i have that although even more frequently i have the issue where i'm the one building the ci pipelines and testing them remotely is a pain because i have to wait for the runners to, to boot up and blah 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 so that's that's why i'm interested in act and why i was interested in hearing your experience with it because i'm thinking about whether i should use it for uh debugging some github actions pipelines i'm working on so here's the issue github runners uh the default ones are not open source uh so you don't really mm-hmm. uh know what they have now there's a trade off like everything in uh in software development you can either choose the micro images, which are smaller and therefore boot up faster and are easier to share, et cetera, et cetera, for your act, you know, when you run act, or you can use the full ones. Now, the problem is that the full one is, or, you know, try to imitate the images that GitHub actually uses are over 18 uh, gigabytes. So already you're starting with something that slows your computer down quite a lot. It's rough to run. So it is faster than pushing, but not significantly faster. And also while you do it, your computer slows down. The readme kind of kind of uh, suggests that it might be a replacement for a make file, but it sounds like that's not really realistic. No, not really. It just The thing about running it locally instead of make file is that if your GitHub Actions are fully, they fully replace your makefile. But what usually happens is that writing GitHub Actions is kind of rough just because the loop, the feedback loop is long. Acts, mm-hmm. you know, sort of, um, I don't want to say marketing material. This is an open source project and it, it, it works and it's fun. Um, but their take on it is write everything in GitHub uh, workflow and you can run it with Act. My take on it is the other way around. Write your build script in a way that you can run locally and in a containerized fashion and then have your GitHub workflow be very thin. Uh, so it's two takes on, yeah. the, on, on, you know, on the same issue where you want faster feedback loops and containerized builds. There's a tension there, right? You want it to run on the cloud on a containerized mm-hmm. uh, image, but you also want to develop and debug it locally. Act is one way to go about it. 
My experience with ACT is that it, it looks good on the surface, but the moment our, in my previous company, our workflows got a bit more complicated and also our setup got a bit more complicated. It just didn't deliver really, uh, especially it had issues when we had tests, you know, tests that include Docker images within of themselves. So you boot up like Postgres next to your Go binary and try to run both together so you can test them. Uh, making it work on GitHub and on uh, ACT was rough, but making it work locally within Docker Compose or Earthly and then running both of these, uh, you know, in GitHub was a lot simpler. And, you know, when you use Go, and instead of like NPM or whatever, just running Go test, you know, I, I do it every time I save the file. So I don't really need to boot up an image to run Go test because Go, Go test runs really fast uh, or Go lint or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it didn't hit the sweet spot for me, I have to admit, but I did try it out and I, I did try to make it work. So I think it takes some elbow grease, but you can make it useful. Uh, but just be wary of these, you know, sort of uh, gotchas that can happen. And if you try to make it work and it doesn't work great for you, but you still want to solve this problem, I recommend also checking out Earthly, uh, which takes the, the uh, exactly the other approach. It's like do everything containerized and run uh, write make files on your machine instead of trying to fit to what GitHub uh, set up with GitHub workflow. That's my experience. I recommend you check it out, but not necessarily the warmest recommendation on Earth. <laughs> Well, it's good to have uh, an honest opinion. So thank you for, for sharing. All right. We don't have an interview lined up today. So we do have a couple of things to talk about after the break here. Um, otherwise, we'll see you next week. Bye-bye, everyone. Welcome to our ad break. It's a good time to chill. And if you're running... Make sure to hydrate, drink something. I only mentioned that since we have some new listeners who listen to us while running. Hey, Gene, what's up? <laughs> Want to shout out some new listeners who reached out in the channel, Jamie and Peter. It's fun having y'all uh, as part of our community. Welcome. There are a few lurkers who joined but didn't post, so I don't want to shout them out. Uh, they maybe want to stay rather anonymous. Thank you all for joining our channel. It's over 150 members now, which is a real like community. And... It's worth mentioning if you want to join, you can join us on the Gopher Slack Cup O Go. It's hashtag Cup O Go Kebab Case with hyphens. If you want to reach us anywhere else on the web, you can go to cupogo.dev or email us at news at cupogo.dev. That is news at cupogo.dev. A couple of things to mention this ad break. Last episode, we mentioned the job board at uh, the Gopher Slack for people who want to be or maybe looking for jobs or want to post uh, jobs. And Jamie, one of the new listeners, mentioned another channel I didn't know actually existed, Jobs Wanted, uh, where people can put their CV and their name, look for uh, jobs. So if you're looking for a Go job right now, it's a good place to, you know, I, I think that people who look at the Gopher Slack for candidates might be a better fit for someone who listens to the show anyway, right? It's self-selecting for quite a few different things. Yeah. So go check out Jobs Wanted if you're looking for a job right now. And also you can do it in Reddit. R slash Golang has a monthly jobs post where you can find jobs, find hiring, and talk about that as well. So a few extra resources other than the hashtag jobs channel and also the hashtag freelance channel at Golang Slack. Finally, 
If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, it helps out a lot. We've been seeing great responses, uh, you know, a lot of engagement. People seem to enjoy the show. So perhaps uh, share it if you have a Golang guild at your work or a backend bash uh, or any other uh, work event where you actually work more hours but don't get more pay for pizza. You know, that's how the work works for us uh, software engineers. Uh, share the show there. Thanks for listening this week. We'll see you all next week. Until then. Bye-bye.